Well, if you were with us last week, then you will know that we're going through a three-part series over Jesus' prayer in John 17. A prayer that Jesus prayed just hours before his death. And knowing that his disciples were listening in. What we saw last week, if you remember, in verses 1 to 5, was Jesus praying for himself. We saw Jesus' deep desire for God the Father to be glorified in eternity through the finished work of Christ on the cross. Jesus, he knew this hour had come for his death. And so he was praying that God's glory would shine as he goes to the cross and thus complete the eternal plan of God to make known his salvation for all the world to see. And so, having prayed in verses 1 to 5 regarding him bringing glory to the Father through his death on the cross, the attention of Jesus' prayer now shifts in verses 6 to 19. Jesus is now praying that his apostles would be kept, set apart and sent into the world as eyewitnesses of his accomplished work at the cross. Essentially, in these verses, Jesus is now, he now prays that God the Father would be glorified on earth through the apostles' witness in the world. But before we unpack these verses, I just want us to zoom out, if you like, and survey how Jesus' prayer in John 17 lies within the overall landscape of John's Gospel, particularly the second half. I touched upon it a little bit last week, but I think it's worth revisiting so that we know exactly where we are with Jesus' prayer in John 17. So, John 17, it brings to a conclusion what is commonly known as the upper room discourse. The time Jesus has with his disciples just before he is handed over to be crucified. The second half of John's Gospel from chapters 11 to 21 has life as its main subject. Life comes from God through the death of Christ. If you know John's Gospel, then you will remember that at the start of chapter 11, Jesus, he raises a man called Lazarus from the dead and he brings him back to life. And chapters 20 to 21, they deal with the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. Now, at the end of chapter 11 and throughout chapter 12, together with chapters 18 and 19, they all deal with the death of Christ. And we saw a bit of that last week. Whereas the start of chapter 11 and chapters, 11, uh, chapters 20 to 21, they deal with signs of life from God. And so the point being, life comes from God through the death of Christ. And so chapters 13 to 17, the Upper Room Discourse, this section is sandwiched between these two sets of chapters. If you like, you've got life, death, Upper Room Discourse, death, life. And so the big question is, what then does it look like for believers to live in Jesus' physical absence on earth? and enjoy life now. 
That's the big question, the big subject of chapters 13 to 17 as Jesus prepares his disciples for his departure. And Jesus' prayer in chapter 17, it concludes this section. And so as we continue to look at this amazingly remarkable prayer, we should be looking for and looking out for themes that touch upon what it looks like for believers to live on earth in Jesus' physical absence and enjoy life now. Okay? And I hope that that makes sense. It gives you a bit of a picture of where we are and it will help you navigate through this amazing prayer in John 17. Now, if you were here last week, then you've got the sense that one of the really big overarching themes that's found through Jesus' prayer in John 17 is the glory of God. I mean, you can see it straight away. You can see it plainly as you read through the whole of Jesus' prayer in this chapter. Last week we saw, didn't we, that the glory of God, the revelation of God, of his character, it radiates for eternity through the finished work of Christ on the cross. Now Jesus goes on, as I said, to pray regarding how this glory of his will be made known today. Specifically, in verses 6 to 19, Jesus he prays that God would be glorified on earth through his apostles' witness in the world. And so with this whole landscape in mind of John's Gospel in view, let's zoom back in and examine the details of Jesus' prayer in verses 6 to 19. So on your sheets, your handouts, you will see our first heading is Who is Jesus praying for? And we can see that in verses 6 to 10. So if you look down at verses 6 to 10, let's have a read. Jesus says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. This, then, in these verses, is the apostolic band, if you like. The eleven who were with Jesus in the upper room at the time after Judas Iscariot had betrayed Jesus uh, earlier on. And the key here is if you look at verses 8 and 10. I have given them the words that you gave me, verse 8. They have received those words, verse 8. They have come to know the truth that Jesus came from the Father and they have believed. And verse 10, I am glorified in them. These verses, they simply cannot be about us or Christians in general. We weren't there. We didn't see God's glory revealed in the physical flesh of Jesus Christ. But those apostles, those eleven, they did. They did see God's glory as the word was made flesh. These verses are about the eleven apostles. 
They are who Jesus is praying for. And if you doubt this, just have a glance at verse 20. If you're not sure about this, have a look at verse 20. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And so, verses 6 to 10 here, it must be about the apostles. That's who Jesus is praying for in this section of the prayer. If you remember, I read out John chapter 1 at the start of the service. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And the us here is the apostles. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And so, who is Jesus praying for here? Jesus is praying for the apostles. Those who have physically seen his glory during Jesus' earthly life and ministry. Number two on our handouts, what is Jesus praying for? Verses 11 to 13. Glance down at verse 11 with me. Jesus says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and I kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. So what is Jesus praying for? I mean, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Keep them, verse 11. Protect them. I have kept them, verse 12. I protected, I guarded them. I kept them safe, verse 12. Not one has been lost, verse 12. And so Jesus, he is praying for the apostles, this apostolic band of brothers, and he's praying that this apostolic band of brothers would be kept. And this is not just about physical protection, although that is important, but specifically Jesus wants the apostles to be kept in the authoritative truth of the gospel as revealed at the cross of Christ. And he wants them to be united in that truth because they have been called and commissioned by Christ. In other words, Jesus is praying for their ongoing protection as they witness in his physical absence. And this will, this will become much clearer as we go on to the next section of our handout. Number three, why is Jesus praying this? Verses 14 to 19. Look down at verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So, 
these 11 apostles, this apostolic band, is about to be sanctified. And the word sanctified here, it means set apart or consecrated. When, when Queen Elizabeth started her reign as um, all those years ago, she was set apart, she was consecrated, sanctified in that sense. And when King Charles has his coronation later this year, it's going to be the same thing. He's going to be publicly consecrated, set apart. And that's what this word sanctified here means. And so this apostolic band, they're about to be sanctified, set apart, and then thrust out into the world by the Lord Jesus. And so he is not praying that they'd be withdrawn from the world into some kind of holy huddle, but they'd be continually thrust out into the world. And Jesus, you know, he's fully aware, isn't he, that the world has hated them because they've hated Jesus. And he knows the world has hated them and will continue to hate them and the gospel message that they carry. The evil one is against them. What is it that Peter says in his letter? The devil, he crawls around like a roaring lion. Jesus knows fully that the world is against his apostles, his disciples. And so he still prays, and yet he still prays to God the Father, set them apart and send them out as my witnesses to my finished work. So it's not a specific prayer for us, but rather a prayer for the apostles and for the gospel message in the world that they bear witness to. You know, because the glory of God, because the glory of God is on display at the cross, we saw that last week, and through the apostles' witness to the cross, so as the gospel message is thrust out into the world by the apostles, so the glory of God is on display in this gospel message wherever it's announced. Do you see the logic? I'll say it again. Because the glory of God is on display at the cross and through the apostles' witness to the cross, as then the gospel message is thrust out into the world by the apostles, so the glory of God is on display in this gospel message wherever it is announced and proclaimed. And so in other words, God is glorified on earth as the apostles proclaim and announce to the world what they witnessed at the cross of Christ, the finished work of Jesus. Jesus knows the apostles are about to be sent out into the world, meaning the world and the devil will hate them and they will face fierce, big opposition. Hence why Jesus prays that they'd be kept and protected by God. I mean, they are so precious to him, aren't they? I mean, can you imagine how Peter, James and John and all the other apostles, how they must be feeling at this point as they listen in to Jesus praying to his father that they'd be protected and guarded and kept as they spread the glory of God around the world through their witness to the cross. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? It's just a little window into how much Jesus loves his apostles. So we've seen, who is, Jesus, who is Jesus praying for? What is Jesus praying for? 
and why Jesus is praying this. But so what? So what? I mean, it's a nice prayer, isn't it, that Jesus prays for this band of brothers, no doubt about it. But what does Jesus' specific prayer for this 11 apostles have to do with us, sat here 2,000 plus years later in Loughborough? Well, I have a few observations which I'd love to share with you all and which I hope will help us make it plain that these verses are really significant for us as we strive as a church family to reach out with the gospel to those around us. So firstly, we need to know that this is what Jesus prayed for the 11 apostles because our knowledge... Our knowledge of Christ comes from them. Think about it. We rely on them being protected and kept by God. Because they are, if you like, the foundation stone. The ones we ultimately get the gospel message from. Also, if you just glance over verses 20 to 26 quickly, just notice that Jesus' prayer for the church today, it relies on Jesus firstly praying for himself, being glorified through his death on the cross, and the apostles being sent out into the world to spread that glory as witnesses to the cross. And so the apostles are, if you like, the, the link in the chain between Christ and us. And praise God that Jesus' prayer for the apostles has been answered, hasn't it? It's extraordinary. What a miracle. A miracle that we have the word of God today, 2,000 years or so later, in a language we can understand. Jesus' prayer for these apostles, it has been answered. Don't we take that so much for granted? Such a miracle, praise God. You know, there was a man who lived during the 15th, 16th century. Uh, he was named Desiderius Erasmus. Not Dizzy Rascal, but Desiderius Erasmus. Okay? And I mention this guy because God, in his divine providence, he laid hands on this individual who then, he went around all the monasteries and he collected up all the original multiple manuscripts and he began to get them all together so that there would be a Greek New Testament from which people could start to retranslate the Bible and thus correct all the errors that had made itself through through the Latin Vulgate and so forth. It's just a miracle. The more you stop and think about it, the more miraculous it is. That God has answered this prayer of Jesus for his apostles to protect them and to keep them, to guard them. Because without these apostles being protected and kept, they wouldn't have not been able to be witnesses and have their witnesses and what Jesus said and what Jesus do be recorded and written down. Meaning we wouldn't have Bibles in our hands today. And thus, we wouldn't be able to experience the glory of God through the cross of Christ for ourselves. Such an extraordinary miracle, isn't it? One that I, for one, take so much for granted that I've got a Bible in my hand. The only reason I've got a Bible in my hand is that I can know about the cross of Christ and be a Christian, in the sense, 
Firstly, that Jesus' prayer for himself, his death on the cross, that God would be glorified, that prayer was answered, definitely. But also, the prayer for the apostles, being kept and protected and guarded, so they could spread that gospel message throughout the world and be recorded and written down and passed down, that's also been answered. And so this is why this prayer, though not directly a prayer for us, it is very relevant to us. And it's a reason to be praising God and to be thanking him for protecting and guarding those witnesses. Praise God. Secondly, second observation, it's therefore a massive and extraordinary privilege that you and I get to share the word of God today. Now, typically, we are not the same as those 11 apostles. We don't write Bible books. But even though we aren't apostles, and even though there aren't any more apostles around today, there is a sense that as Christian disciples, we too share in the same task, in being set apart by God to spread and proclaim the same gospel truth. As Christians today, we also live in a world, don't we, that hates Jesus, and the message of the cross. And we also live in a world, don't we, where Satan assaults anyone who proclaims Christ and him crucified. This means, therefore, we too need protection from God as we fulfil the great commission in proclaiming the gospel and making disciples of Jesus Christ. But in a world like this, in a world like this, it is far too easy for us to forget just what a massive and extraordinary privilege it is as Christians to share the word of God. The word of God that bears witness to the finished work of Christ on the cross. Because it just seems so weak at times, doesn't it? You know, as a preacher, I find myself praying, Lord, please return now, as someone is falling asleep in the back row, or even in the front row, believe it or not, or they're playing on their phone, they've just gone off to another planet. Satan assaults those who preach and teach the gospel, but God is glorified. You know, I have the best job in the world as a Christian minister. And if you call yourself a Christian here tonight, you have the best job in the world because you get to spread the glory of God as revealed at the cross of Christ, as witnessed by the apostles, and then as recorded and translated into what we now have as the Bible, the Word of God. Wherever you announce the gospel, God is glorified. Whether that is on the streets, university, your school, um, cafe, uh, in physical or more online for many people as we've known for the last few years. Wherever we announce and proclaim this good news, this good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel message that we've had passed down to us through the Apostles' Witness, it's an extraordinary, massive privilege is, and when we do it, God is glorified. What a massive and extraordinary privilege you and I have as Christians. Thirdly then, I want to urge you to have confidence 
in this gospel message. The apostolic word of the cross. And with this comes an encouragement and a challenge. Alright, so here's firstly the encouragement. The encouragement is this. The glory of God is no longer a secret. Nothing of God's glory is hidden anymore. It's all out in the open for all to see. The blindfold of God's glory has been removed at the cross of Christ. And so, as you point people to Jesus' death on the cross, in whatever context you find yourself in, then they will see the glory of God. Now, to be clear, not everyone, in the sense, you know, some may still be blinded, but if if they don't see it, but it's not as if the Bible's got an error or had anything wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with the, God's revelation through the cross of Christ. People are just not having their eyes, they just keep having their eyes shut. But God can open blind eyes by the Spirit through the Word. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God to accomplish the work of God. And so remember this, we preach Christ, God opens blind eyes. Do you believe that? And do you have the confidence that as you proclaim Christ and him crucified, that God may be opening blind eyes? Have confidence in the gospel message because that's where we see the glory of God as revealed at the cross of Christ. And so be encouraged that as you share the cross of Christ, the glory of God is revealed and blind eyes, they can be opened. But the challenge for us, the challenge for us is that we need to remain confident in the gospel message that we possess and carry. As we've seen in Jesus' prayer, the world hates his disciples. And Satan assaults all who believe and proclaim the cross of Christ. It can feel so weak at times. And so it's tempting to change the message completely. Or it's really simply tempting you know, to tone down the gospel or just to tinker with it or tweak it to make it sound more inviting or to simply leave out the bits that we think people don't like, including the fact that God punishes sin. And actually some evangelistic courses, they do exactly that. And it's dangerous because they're not getting the full gospel and they're not fully understanding why they need to be saved. And so here's a warning for us. If you drift away from the gospel message, the apostolic word of the cross, then you drift from the glory of God and a ministry that brings glory to God. Now here's an Old Testament quiz. Do you remember a guy called Ichabod from the Old Testament? Ichabod. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 21, the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God's presence was, um, was contained, if you like, uh, where people could um, witness the greatness of God on earth at that time, the Ark of the Covenant it had been captured by the enemies of God's people and it had been taken away from God's people. And one Israelite woman at the time, they heard what happened and they said, the glory of God has now departed. She then named her child Ichabod after the glory of God departed. I mean, could you imagine going round with that name and being asked, oh, what's your name? Oh, my name is Ichabod. Oh, the glory of God has departed, doesn't it? 
And it's not a very kind, not a very kind thing to do, is it? To name your child Ichabod. But that's what the, that's what the woman did. Because she recognised how dangerous it is to drift away from anything that drifts away from the glory of God. But in the mainline denominations in the 21st century, or any church for that matter, insofar as they drift away from the gospel, so far you no longer see the glory of God. I mean, there are, exam- there are quite a few example Ichabods today, isn't there? Uh, Steve Chalk, he was once uh, a decent Bible scholar, and now he calls the cross nothing more than cosmic child abuse. Ichabod. Joshua Harris, he was once a great pastor teacher in the United States, and he's influenced lots and lots of Christians worldwide, especially students, including books on dating and relationships. Now no, he now no longer believes in the Christian faith and has left the ministry. Ichabod. And why am I telling you this? I'm asking you to please, please pray for me and Joseph as we preach here week in and week out. Pray for all who teach the Bible here at Hollywell in whatever context it might be, the kids' work, the senior moments. Please pray that we do not drift from the apostolic word of the cross so that we do not drift from the glory of God. The Bible in our hands is legit. It is the real deal. And we want to stick with the Bible because it is sufficient for us. Because as we open the Bible, wherever we find ourselves in, we, we see the apostolic witness to the cross of Christ and thus we see the glory of God. And so please pray that me and Joseph or whoever preaches and teaches the Bible here at Hollywell or in any church for that matter, that they don't drift from the gospel. Because if they do that, they drift away from the glory of God. So we need to remain confident in the Bible, the apostolic witness to the cross of Christ that is recorded for us in the scriptures. The Bible in our hands today, it's the real deal. It contains the apostolic witness to the glory of God that's revealed at the cross of Christ. So let's remain confident in this gospel message. And so whilst this is indeed a warning to us, Please also be encouraged because this is a prayer for both protection and reassurance. Please be reassured that God will keep his gospel message safely guarded. I mean, he's managed it for 2,000 plus years, hasn't he? There have been many movements over the last few hundred years that have tried to dismantle the gospel, discredit it, but none have lasted. God will keep his word. God will protect his word. God will safely guard his word. God will continue to build his kingdom until it is fully built and fully established. So let's remain confident. Let's remain confident in the apostolic witness to the cross of Christ. Nothing or no one can or will ever stop the gospel being spread around the world. Have confidence, my friends, in Jesus' ongoing prayer for you and for me as we share in the same apostolic task of gospel proclamation. More on that next week, but for now, what we can see here from this prayer is that we today are to be residents in the world, not hide in some kind of holy huddle. We are to be residents in this world, 
We are to be different from this world. And we are to be witnesses to the world. But Jesus is praying for you and for me, for your ongoing protection, as you remain in this world with the same apostolic word and the same commission. Have confidence in this great gospel of our glorious God. And finally, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian here tonight, we're so glad that you're here and we hope you'll keep coming and keep asking questions on what is the gospel? Who is Jesus? Where can I find life? Come and ask your questions anytime. But please may I now ask a question directly to you. Where do you think you can see glory? We see glory often in celebrities or in human achievement, for instance. Do you want to see the glory of God? If you do, read the Gospels. Let's do a one-to-one together. Let's go to Bon Bon, let's have lunch. It's on me, I promise. And for the rest of you, don't try and pretend to be a non-Christian just so you can get a free lunch, okay? But seriously, if you really want to sink your teeth into the glory of God, read the Bible. Read the Bible. Because it's only by reading the Bible that you will see what Jesus did on the cross. And it's only by seeing and understanding what Jesus did on the cross that you will see the glory of God on full display. Because that's where the glory of God is found. And the reason we can see that is because the apostles were kept and protected and it's now been recorded and written down for us. So that we can too have this eternal life of knowing God personally, through Jesus Christ whom God sent. Do you want to see the glory of God? Do you want to have a living, eternal relationship with the maker of this universe, the maker of you? Read the Bible. And for the rest of us, again, I just want to encourage you, keep sinking your teeth into the Scriptures. Get to know God better. And let's be reaching out with this apostolic word, fully confident, wherever we find ourselves in, wherever God places us, that as we open the Bible, wherever we are, we will see the glory of God. Because the glory of God is revealed for eternity through the finished work of Christ on the cross and through the apostles' witness to that finished work of the cross of Christ. Praise God, we can know God for ourselves. Let's pray together. God our Father, we cannot help but stop and marvel that what you have done through Christ, his finished work on the cross, accomplishing salvation, making known your salvation, and yet we so easily miss the middle part of the important chain that you kept and protected those close apostles so that they could spread the glory of the gospel and have their witnesses recorded so that we can now know it for ourselves. Lord God, please help us to uh, not take for granted what we have in our hands, the Bible, uh, but to be praising you for 
all you have done over these 2,000 years of church history so that we would remain confident in the same gospel truth because they did it and you did marvellous things through them. So please help us all to remain confident in the same gospel truth and may you do great things for us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.